1: Should Christians support tougher immigration laws, or are we asking the wrong questions? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my special guest co host, Catherine McNeil, and we are thrilled today to be joined by friend of the show, Matthew Sorens. Matthew is the vice president of policy and advocacy. At world Relief. Matt, thanks so much for being here with us today.
2: Yeah, it's always great to be with you.
1: We love having you. So, Matt, uh, before we dive into some more specific questions, give our listeners who aren't familiar with World Relief an idea of what it is World Relief is about and does, and what do you specifically do there?
2: Yeah, World Relief is a global Christian humanitarian organization. So, we've existed for almost 80 years now, uh, working with local churches all over the world to care for people who are vulnerable. And uh, in the U.S. context where I work primarily, uh, I'm here in Chicagoland and uh, we have offices around the United States, we particularly focused on, on immigrants, people who are born in other countries. Uh, we resettle refugees, partnering both with the U.S. government and with uh, thousands of local churches around the United States and serve a lot of other immigrants who come in through other, other legal channels as well. Um, my particular role is on our advocacy and policy team. So basically helping, um, you know, 99% of the work World Relief does is sort of on the ground, helping with local churches and directly to care for immigrants, care for refugees. But my job is to help address some of the systemic challenges. So how many refugees come to the United States in a given year? That's hmm. a- decision for the president and is there anything that the church could do to help influence how the president thinks about that mm-hmm. um how do we think about the dynamics of other immigration legal processes and uh, people seeking asylum or those who are coming to fill an economic need uh, my job is both to try to encourage our elected officials to think about those issues in ways that we think are consistent with our biblical principles as an organization yes. but then also to help the church think about those issues in biblical ways, which isn't necessarily always the first lens that even Christians yeah. think about these topics. It's yeah. even for, in the church, it's sometimes a political conversation or, you know, economic security, all those dynamics, which are important. But our challenge to the church is to step back and say, first, how do we think about this as Christians in ways guided by
1: the scriptures? It's great, Matt.
3: Matt, that's such a great reminder for us here on this Christian program. Um, I know you've written about this extensively and could probably give a full weekend seminar on it. But how can we think as Christians or biblically about the topic of immigration in America?
2: Yeah, I mean... I've had people tell me, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about immigrants. And the the sad reality to that statement is the Bible says so much. So much. You've written on this as well. Um, There's, I mean, we've used this tool for a number of years uh, with our partners at the Evangelical Immigration Table. We call the I Was a Stranger Challenge. It's 40 Bible verses that relate in one way or another to the theme of immigration. And it's not because there only are 40. It's just that was a nice sort of biblical number to <laughs> ask people to. You
3: know,
2: people could find that on the, you know, on the you Version Bible app or on the Evangelical Immigration Table website. Um, but, you know, big picture, some basic biblical themes. One is that God cares for people who are vulnerable. And in mm. the Old Testament, mm. the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Or yeah. the sojourner, the stranger, the immigrant, depending upon which English translation you're reading. Um, another basic theme is that many of the heroes of our faith crossed borders at different points in the story. From Abraham to Moses, uh, all the way, you know, Jesus himself fleeing persecution Mm -hmm. and going to Egypt as a small child, Mm -hmm. which fairly closely meets what we would now consider the definition of a refugee. (laughs) Um, And then even in the New Testament, we have this command to practice hospitality. Yeah. You know, that isn't just having your your friends over for lunch or having a, you know, a clean guest room for your in-laws. Those are nice things to do, but in the Greek of the New Testament, hospitality is philoxenia. It is the love of strangers.
3: Mm. Not
2: necessarily an American cultural value. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons, probably you did as well, that had
3: these
2: <laughs> announcements about stranger danger. Yes. yes. So we send those messages to kids. Uh, you know, I want to protect children as well. But uh, I think in reality, we carry that into adulthood, where we have the suspicion of people who are different from us. Yeah. Now, the Bible doesn't promise us that... I don't think the Bible promises that all strangers are safe.
3: No, But we are
2: right. explicitly commanded in Romans 12 and elsewhere to practice loving strangers. And mm. even told in Hebrews 13 that by welcoming strangers, some people have entertained angels without realizing mm. it. Um, there's so many more big picture themes as well. I mean, we could talk about just what does it mean to love your neighbor in the context of when your neighbor might be a a vulnerable traveler who's in need which is actually is the story of the Good Samaritan the example Jesus gave of what it looks like to love your neighbor and then there's the Great Commission dynamic we're called to make disciples of all nations the nations have shown up in our own communities and many of them it's worth mentioning are already strong believers who bring a vibrant Christian faith with them Mm -hmm. but others may never have encountered the story of the gospel had they stayed in their home country Hmm. and um, there's an opportunity for the church there if we are faithful to that command to love our neighbors that will elicit all sorts of questions of why and we get yeah. to, as first Peter says, to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. And to do so with gentleness and respect.
1: Oh, Thank you for that, Matt. That's so such a good word for all of us. Um, give us a, a rundown. This is a broad question, but I know you're, you're asked it quite a bit. If, if someone were to say to you, okay, well, what's going on at the border? And what can Christians do? I know that is a massive question, but fill us in as best you can.
2: Yeah, it's hard to answer that concisely, but the border is a really challenging situation right now. One thing that I think most Christians and most Americans probably haven't realized is that there's been a really interesting shift at the U.S.-Mexico border from most people coming and trying to sneak into the country in order to usually find a job somewhere within the United States. That still happens in some cases, but what's more common in recent years is people crossing the border, looking for the Border Patrol to seek asylum. Hmm. So asylum is uh, something offered under our U.S. laws where if you can demonstrate a credible fear of persecution for particular reasons under the law, the law says you're allowed to stay. Now, some of the people who are crossing have really compelling reasons and good evidence of that. Others really don't. There's a lot of cases that are, frankly, kind of gray. They might have a good story, but do they have the evidence to back it up? Or it's a little unclear if it fits into the precise uh, uh, grounds under U.S. law. But the real challenge is we have such an incredible backlog to process those cases. The average mm. amount of time for an asylum uh, decision right now is about four to five years. Wow. And then creates this additional question of, well, what do you do with people while they wait? Do you hold them in right. jail? Do you send them back to Mexico, which there's international, you know, Mexico may or may not take them back. That's part of the challenge we've seen in the last year. Mexico will take back people from certain nationalities and not people from other nationalities. because They're a separate country. They can do it. You know, they have some mm-hmm. say in that um, or do you let them into the United States? While they wait for the court case, once going through a criminal background check and all that, that happens in some cases as well. Even then, it's uniquely challenging for those individuals because they're not authorized to work when they first arrive. It takes months before they're eligible to even apply for work authorization, um, even though there's plenty of jobs. I mean, that's the irony is we have 5 million more jobs right now than we have people looking for work in this country. Wow. It hasn't always been the case, but that is the case right now. Wow. Um, so one of the easy policy you know, fixes would be you know, let people work lawfully sooner. Mm. Another, of course, would be increase the capacity to adjudicate asylum claims with more immigration judges, more asylum officers. And that would cost some money from the federal government. But frankly, it would be money that you'd save by not doing detention as much as we do, which is also interesting.
1: Extreme. Wow. Oh, That's wow. interesting. Matt, thank you so much for all of this information. We're going to continue our conversation with you when you when we return. But Matt, for people who don't know how to connect with you or connect with World Relief, uh, can you tell us where to find and follow you?
2: Yeah, so worldrelief.org, and you can click through to find our Chicagoland offices there for your local. You can also find out about some of the work that we do along the border. So we work with churches on the Mexican side of the border who are uh, caring for people who have been, are waiting sometimes for a very long time to be able to seek asylum in the United States. Um, I'm also on Twitter, probably more than I should be. Uh, <laughs> Uh, m-a-t-t-h-e-w last name is s-o-e-r-e-n-s and instagram and all that as well
1: matt sorens is the vice president of policy and advocacy at world relief we're going to continue our conversation with him when we return you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life matt catherine has a fun question for you we are dying to know your answer
3: (laughs) All right, Matt, I know that immigration is a complex situation, and we can't just magically solve it. But if I gave you a magic wand for one day, and you got to be the fairy godmother for the church, you are allowed to change three specific things related to immigration and America and the church. What would they be? Three things.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll focus maybe on the church. I could think of some policy things I'd like for the Congress, or the government to do. But for the church, one, I mean, we have then polling and found that about one in five evangelical Christians say that they think about the arrival of immigrants in their community primarily from the perspective of the Bible. I would hmm. love to move that up to 100%. Um, hmm. Which would be terribly difficult to ask, to ask people who say the Bible is their authority to make it their authority on this particular issue. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, secondly, I would say, and this would be consistent with reading those scriptures, I find there's a lot of fear that governs the church's conversations around immigration. And Catherine, you've written an excellent book on that topic. I would commit (laughs) it to you all. Um, But I think that's true for lots of issues, frankly, in our society, but especially around immigration. And there's fear within immigrant communities as well. Some of it's a little more rational than some of the fear within the the American church. But people come to these conversations around immigration very, like, with their shoulders hunched up, afraid that Mm -hmm. this is somehow going to harm them, risk their safety, risk their economic well being. Yeah. Frankly, lots of good evidence that those fears are probably not based in fact, like immigrants commit crime at lower rates than native born U.S. citizens, you know, Mm. refugees um, have not taken American lives in terrorist attacks, at least since 1980. Hmm. Um, But even if they had our command as Christians would be to not be afraid.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: And not because we live in a great, powerful country, though we do, and they do a pretty decent job of protecting us. uh, But because of who our God is, and if Hmm. we are faithful to the scriptural commands, God, you know, we're safe in God's hands in an eternal sense, at least.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: The third thing I think I would say is for Christians to be stewards of, of all that God has given them. So that has like, like financially, um, you know, world relief could do a lot more work with local churches if the average Christian tithed and, um, instead of giving a few percent of their income. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of needs, both globally addressing some of the issues that, lead people to migrate in the first place and very under-resourced churches around the world doing the best to care that we can come alongside, and then to come alongside churches here to care for immigrants and, and a number of other vulnerable populations beyond those who we serve as well. But I think that's a stewardship dynamic. The other yeah. dynamic, I would say, would be a stewardship of our influence. Yeah. Um, hmm. Most of us are U.S. citizens. We get to vote every couple of years. Um, but we have influence even beyond that and how our policies work. And we're, to be really clear, World Relief, we're not a partisan organization. We're not here to tell you to vote for Democrats or vote for Republicans or either of those things. Yeah. Um, we do want to encourage Republicans and Democrats and independents and everybody else to approach the policy dynamics that affect vulnerable populations, whether those are immigrants or unborn babies or um, the homeless or any other number of groups of people in ways informed by their faith. And mm. I think, you know, there's so much... Really potential there if the church would speak in in a unified way and how to address immigration policy issues. I think Yeah. Yes. we, tragically, we're more often to see politicians attack immigrants in kind of ugly ways or dehumanizing ways, and maybe thinking that they're appealing to Christian voters in the process. And, and maybe they are in some cases. Um, but I think that's another area where I would love to see the church be stewards, both of their resources, but also their influence.
1: So, Matt, I actually want to ask you the same question, but with government policies, if you could be a fairy godmother for the government for the day and change three very specific things, what would those things be?
2: Yeah, I think the three things I would do, the first would be make it... Easier to immigrate legally. Uh, that doesn't mean unlimited mm-hmm. immigration, but the reality, as we yeah. mentioned, the labor needs. Um, you know, I work really closely with people who are waiting in decades-long backlogs to be reunited with family members who are here lawfully, mm-hmm. trying to go through legal processes to be with their families. Um, and the U.S., which you know has historically led the way in terms of refugee resettlement on the global level, has now, in the last five years or so, resettled thirty thousand refugees or less. When you know, you go back to mm-hmm. nineteen eighty, we resettled more than two hundred thousand refugees. We could be yeah. doing wow. that at a time that there's more refugees in the world, um, and that's a legal form of, of migration. Uh, the second thing I would say is that I'm all for making it harder to immigrate illegally. Um, you hmm. know, I think those things go together, hmm. because you give people legal avenues to migrate, and they can go through background checks and be vetted thoroughly. Only those who don't want to go through those background checks are likely to go through an unlawful mechanism. Wow. Um, wow. And the reality is so many of the people coming to our border are actually trying to go through a legal process, but it's incredibly backlogged. And so yeah. others really don't qualify for asylum. But if you would make a way for them to apply for a work visa to go meet a need in the agricultural sector of our economy, for example, they'd much prefer to do so than working with a, a really cruel smuggler who could mistreat them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you also can disincentivize unlawful entry by having more security at our borders. And we're for that, for more, uh, border, yeah. for more resources at the border. The third question is, what do you do with immigrants who are already here unlawfully? Now, most of them have been here 10 years or more at this point. Many yeah. of them have children born in this country. Mm-hmm. And what we, what I think the solution there is, and World Relief has maintained this for a long time, is not an amnesty that says you broke the law, but the law doesn't matter. Here's your citizenship. Because we think Romans 13 and other biblical passages really compel us to respect the law. It's also, though, not to find 11 million people or so who are here unlawfully and just round them up and deport them, which just on a mm-hmm. logistical level you know, would take a fairy godmother to figure out how to do <laughs>
3: (laughs) Yeah. Right.
2: Right. Also, fiscal impacts. And, uh, you know, we also believe God has established a family. We don't want to take those parents away from their U.S. born children. Um, So, what we've said is there ought to be a way for people to come forward, pay a fine as a form of restitution, a penalty for having violated an immigration law. And then have the chance to earn permanent legal status and eventual citizenship over time, if they're willing to meet certain requirements. Which, in my experience, and you know, I worked in an immigration, uh, as an immigration counsel for overly for many years. I go to a Spanish-speaking church. The vast, vast majority of people who are in that situation would like line up at four in the morning yes. for the opportunity to pay a few thousand dollars or whatever mm-hmm. it was as yes. a penalty, if they could have the chance to be safe and secure and know that they wouldn't be separated from their families.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for that, Matt. That's those are such wise uh, wise things to consider. Okay, we've got a couple more minutes. I do want to ask you about this bill in Florida that you mentioned to us off air. Can you talk to us about what that bill is and how it might impact the church?
2: Yeah, so in Florida, there's a bill that um, is moving through the state legislature. It's SB 1718 uh, that does a number of things affecting immigrants. But the one that it, none of which honestly, from World perspective, are things we think are worth doing, so we'd prefer the bill just go away. But the really concerning element that we're particularly focused on is an element that redefines smuggling to basically be anyone who transports someone who entered the country unlawfully uh, and who knows that they are unlawfully present in the country or should have known.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: what we, you know, our ears immediately go up on that is well, what does that do to churches? Uh, many of which, right. in a mm-hmm. state like Florida, which has 700,000 undocumented immigrants, like this is not a mm-hmm. state with no immigrants, um, right. lots of churches have immigrants within their congregations. And lots of churches have a church van or otherwise transport people for some purpose or another. Um, Whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, sending a van around to pick kids who don't have access to driver's licenses up for youth group, or just a a church member bringing their elderly neighbor with them to church, carpooling. And uh, if they happen to know that that person entered unlawfully 25 years ago, which some people know about their neighbors, and some pastors Mm -hmm. know as they've heard their their congregants' testimonies, they would be at risk of, of multiple years in jail if this bill, mm. or maybe they would never enforce it. That's you know sort of one of the responses we've got. Well, we don't intend to like use this bill, but then you shouldn't write it because honestly, mm. churches are going to go to their lawyers and say, you know, what is our legal liability if we run this transportation ministry? And the lawyers are going to say you're legally liable if you know someone or should have known mm-hmm. that someone was unlawfully in the country and entered unlawfully, and you transport them. Um, I mean. And they will shut down transportation ministries. It, literally, the example Jesus gives us of what it means to love your neighbor involves transporting someone to get help. And That's I,
1: true. Wow, wow. Oh, Matt, that is certainly so. I have so many follow up questions. So I'm glad that you're going to stick with us after the break. We'll continue our conversation with Matt Sorens, the Vice President of Policy and Advocacy at World Relief. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
3: Now, Matt, I know that you work in advocacy. You're advocating in policy and you're advocating in the church, but I also know that you're a family guy. You've got kids. You intentionally live in community among immigrants. What does this look like for the common person? How can we talk about these things as we're parenting or as we're just going about our lives in community?
2: Yeah, I appreciate that question, Catherine. You know, it's really important to me and my wife, Diana. Like, like I care about the policy, the big national issues. Obviously, I've been working on those for many years. But I never want to get disconnected from the people whom this directly affects, which I think Mm. is part of the reason I've always sort of politely refused to move to D.C. Not that there aren't also Mm -hmm. immigrants in D.C. Um, But, you know, I I love the community where we live in the suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, my wife and I are part of a Spanish-speaking church where these dynamics that I read about in the newspaper and sometimes write about for the newspaper are affecting families that I know really directly. yeah. Uh, whether they're refugees who came through the refugee resettlement program or immigrants, I, a couple weeks ago we met a Mexican pastor whose life was at risk because he was a little too good at his at his job of drawing people out of lifestyles of drugs and gangs, and now the wow. gangs are after him. And he's wow. got a claim, and he showed up in our church, you know, and um, and we're trying to figure him out. Can World Relief help you with legal support, and what else do you need? Um, but those, it's really important to me, you know, and I love, you know, for my kids as well. Like, I want my kids, my son asked me the other day, like, so what it is you do at World Relief? What is your <laughs> job? And, you know, I can point to him, like, you know, your friend who lives down the street, like, his family's got this situation. And yeah, we're trying yeah. to see if we can change some things for their family so they could have some of the same opportunities that you're having that you didn't realize were some special opportunity. But because you were born here to U.S. citizen parents, you've got a different set of opportunities than some of the other kids in our neighborhood. And with that comes some stewardship for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, so I love, you know, being able to help my kids think about these dynamics as well.
1: And Matt, diving deeper into that, how do you talk to your kids of some about some of the harsh realities, uh, the suffering, the pain, the evil, and perhaps even what, you know, they see maybe they're Christian. I, I'm going to put people in boxes here. so. Bear with me, but they might see their Christian grandparents saying something different than you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, how how do you kind of help kids navigate all of those difficult things?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, again, my kids have had some unique opportunities just because of where we live and because of my job. Like I mentioned, my sons Zeph and I out uh, last year, I took him to Ciudad Juarez and we visited a church that was hosting <laughs> asylum seekers. Um, and so helping him to have that, like, hand perspective, uh, I mean, I, and actually it was one of my best visits because sometimes it's just a sort of awkward dynamic. You're visiting people and you don't want it to be like we're visiting the zoo. Like, you know, you want right. people. But there is this kind of artificial barrier of like, well, we have this passport in hand where we have the freedom to leave here and, and you don't. But I love that you know the the church people running the shelter would say again, okay, Spanish all the kids okay all the kids get in line we're gonna play this game and Zephaniah just goes in line because he speaks Spanish enough to have understood from his school in Aurora and you know he's just another kid and when they're handing out candy to the kids he doesn't presume well oh, that's for the immigrant kids or the, the, the you know the asylum seeking kids he likes candy too it turns out and Mike mm. was, you know, was able to connect with these mostly mothers as a parent and not just as like, I'm a policy advocate mm-hmm. and, you know, I work with these churches, but hey, I have a kid and I understand, you know, how much you love your kids and why you have felt the desperation that you feel. Um, then, you know, he comes back and he does interact sometimes with people who have different perspectives, but I think he has the benefit of just being like, well, the kid I met in Juarez, that wasn't his story that you heard about mm-hmm. him. So maybe he should, like, watch some different news or... I don't know. My parents told me this is what the Bible says. And that's always a good, you know, for, for, for our fellow sisters and brothers in Christ, for whom the scripture is at least their professed authority. Uh, even with kids, I think it's a unique opportunity to point people back to what does the Bible say on this? It's great.
3: Matt, what is a story that gives you hope as you look around? Um, the immigration, climate, and landscape—either in the church or in in government—what, where are you finding hope to keep going these days?
2: Yeah, you know, my mind went in a few different directions there. But I, I, one is because I saw the tweet just before we we jumped on the air here. You know, there there's a member of Congress down in Texas, uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez. He's a Republican. He's actually got the longest border district of any member of Congress in South Texas, and he is uh, in some ways. I don't want to say single-handedly, but he is holding up a really, from our perspective, negative bill uh, in the House of Representatives that would basically shut down asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border, um, not, you know, improve the situation and improve processing, but just basically say no more asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border if, if really impossible metrics are not met. And he's doing so because he says, I don't think this is a Christian bill. I can't, in good faith, as a follower of Jesus, accept this legislation. And the margins of Congress right now are that one or two members can sometimes stop really bad legislation from going through. So I just happened to see his tweet on that. And I, you know, I don't know Congressman Gonzalez or all of his particular dynamics, but I think it's important to, you know, really affirm people on both sides of the aisle who are allowing their faith to influence how they address public policy issues.
3: And Mm.
2: so that I was encouraged by that minutes ago. And um, that's the first thing on the top of my mind right now.
1: Nice. Um, Okay, Matt, let me ask you a somewhat personal question. Did I hear that your daughter published a book, which is on Amazon?
2: That is true. It is called The The Defeat of the Hypnotizer, and there have definitely been days when it sells better than my books. (laughs) Not that I look at this daily, but...
3: Um, <laughs> um,
2: yeah, Zippy was... Uh, her name is Zipporah Sorens. Uh, she's her actual, you know, name on her book. Uh, Zippy was part of this really cool young writer's program here in Aurora, and they helped her to... It's You know, she's was in third grade at the time. She's now in fourth grade. She actually just wrote a, a sequel. It's called The Summer of the Lemon Wars. Um, it's very good. Wow.
3: Um, wow! She's
2: such a creative girl, and I'm so proud of her. And What in the world? Yeah. She so amazing! You can find,
1: you can go ahead and order her books on Amazon. Is that right?
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, so awesome!
2: And I blame my wife for typographical errors because she was the editor, but on that. But really, Dippy's ideas and Dippy's words. So.
1: Oh, I love that! So cool. Matt Sorens is the vice president of policy and advocacy at World Relief. Matt, where can our listeners follow World Relief and follow what you're doing?
2: Yeah, um, you know, all the social media sort of places, it's just World Relief, or I'm at Matthew Sorens, uh, especially on Twitter. It's mostly where I am on social media. Um, also, World Relief is on the Internet, worldrelief.org, and there's a link to our Chicago land offices there as well. Or I also help coordinate something called the Evangelical Immigration Table. There's a bunch of resources there at evangelicalimmigrationtable.com.
1: Thanks so much for being here with us today, Matt. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you both. I'll be back again on Monday with my regular co-host, Brian Fromm. We'll be there from 4 to 6 p.m., but it's been so fun having you all week, Catherine. Thanks a lot for being here. It's been so fun to be here. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life